0: Welcome back to Elevate the Podcast, where we have candid conversations about life, agriculture, and rural entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Natalie Kovorek. Can't put sustainability just on the backs of farmers and ranchers and expect us to solve it all. Like we're a very important role, but we need other people coming to bat with us. And I'm Tara Vanderdeusen. But when you have a really
1: large population and you change your eating habits that drastically based on your income level, it obviously has repercussions like around the world.
0: You guys were back. We are back. Which I'm sure you're like, what are you talking about? You have not gone anywhere. <laughs> you have still I just listened to your last episode a couple of days ago. But a little BTS of how it works here on Elevate Ag. Um, if you follow us on our personal Instagram pages, you know that we have been kind of busy traveling. So we actually had to batch record a ton of our episodes, our content, so that because there was no way between being in California and filming, and then the stuff we had the week before, we would be able to do our podcast episodes. So we filmed that ahead of time. So while for you guys, it feels like we have been doing our normal rhythm and flow of episodes for Tara and I, I don't know, I feel like it's been a hot minute since we've podcasted. So I don't know. I'm like, I'm so excited. I have been even yesterday, we text each other. And we're like, we wish we were recording our podcast today, because I'm just (laughs) anxious to get back into this space. So
1: we're back. I'm so excited! I feel like I should give fair warning that I'm going to probably be overly
0: like excited. <laughs> you're going to I talk at like four times speed than our normal two times speed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like people, you're going to really have to slow us down. Obviously. I'm probably like overshare. You're gonna be like,
1: okay, enough. But I'm just really excited. I'm so excited to be back. So let's kick it off. Let's get started before we um, talk too long.
0: <laughs> yeah, before we dive in, though, I did want to like speaking of traveling last week, I wanted to and I kind of talked about this with you, Tara, but I wanted to talk about it with everyone on the podcast, because when I was in the airport, I picked up a handful of magazines um, to kind of do some market research for things. And a couple things. One, I don't know why I stopped reading magazines. Two, I think I'm totally going to restart. I was like, this is fun. Why did I ever stop doing this? But three, the meat of this story, the meat and potatoes, as Tara likes to say, is I was flipping through, I picked up a Allure, like a beauty magazine. And I was slipping through it and I came across this article and actually reminded me of kind of a conversation we had with Aaron, food science babe, which for anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, it's episode 27. It's a good one to go tune into. But in it, we have this conversation with Aaron that there's kind of this, um, I guess maybe fear is the right word about, I guess, words we can't pronounce and eating those or putting those on our body and kind of like, I feel like there's this narrative that like, if you can't say it. That means it's bad. And in some cases, that's totally true. Like, whatever the scientific word for, you know, acid is, like, we're not gonna wanna (laughs) put that on our body. Let's not do that. But, and we even actually talk about this with Jack Bobo in his episode, which is another great one. I mean, if you were to break down, you know, and use the, I don't know if it's scientific terms. I, I mean, that's what I say with my pharmacy background, but, You know, For a kiwi or a banana, he actually has this in one of his presentation slides, that's full of a ton of words we can't say. And so there's this narrative that has built kind of this fear around if you can't say it, don't eat it, don't put it on your body. And again, that can be true, but we have to remember there's nuance and there's more than just black and white. And there's this gray area where there may be a word that we can't say and it's actually okay and needed. And that that's what this article was saying. And I was so shocked because I felt like it was one, you know, a bigger beauty magazine. And two, they were kind of almost going against, I feel like a pretty common narrative. And so the article was really great because it kind of broke down some of the words in the beauty industry that you might find in products that you're not going to be able to say, but necessarily isn't a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And they kind of talked about that. And I don't know, I was like snaps and claps for this magazine. I was like so excited in the airport when I was reading it.
1: Uh, you and I have talked a couple times in the last week that we've seen some really promising things in mainstream media about like that would be like that's a great example. We've seen some really great things about like animal ag. My weekly discovery, which is at the very end of the episode, so stay tuned for that is – Another really great like mainstream thing that I was like shocked to find.
0: Like, are the tides turning? Like I don't want to say that out loud, but we were like, is meat having its moment? Because we've seen a couple like you know, quotation influencers that are not have anything to do with agriculture, they were sharing some larger um Oh, I can't think of that guy's name. He's like carnivore something. I don't carnivore know his handle has carnivore yeah. in it. I mean, he's definitely pro meat. And she <laughs> shared a couple of his reels, and we were like, "Oh my, oh my gosh!" We had to pause. So yeah, it is exciting, and I am excited for our weekly discovery. And if you guys have noticed, which maybe you did, maybe you didn't, we renamed our segment "Weekly Discovery" as a hint, hint to maybe like a big change that's happening. Come. Yeah, to the podcast in season three. So. We're not going to tell exactly what it is, but um, it does have to do with Discovery. And it may take some of you guys, I don't want to say like a back but you may kind of be like, oh, that was a pretty big change. And just know that Tara and I have thought a lot. I don't know Long how, how much far. I can <laughs> emphasize a lot about you know, the direction we want to take this podcast and changes for season three. So stay tuned for season three to see what they are. But some changes are coming and it's on our heart and we've really thought about it. But anyway, that reminded me of changes for season three. So
1: we have like there's we've been doing a ton of research, a ton of like thought about this podcast. I feel like we've gotten really serious about this podcast. I actually today I'm coming to you for my new podcast recording. I studio. don't even start with me.
0: I'm so jealous. I had the idea for the creating the podcast studio first and then you hacked it off and did it quicker than me. And I'm uh, The inner three in me is like rage angry at you right now. I
1: know. I went ahead and grabbed my Stanley Cup too. Yours (laughs) doesn't come in the mail till today. This is a later segment, so stay tuned in a couple weeks. But I'm going to just drink out of my Stanley Cup while you sit there and have your rage fit. Perfect. Um, Okay. Well, what segment do you want to start with? I'm kicking it off with Ag Fact, if that's okay. I'm ready. Take it, girl. Okay. So actually, when we were recording... Discover Ag last week in California. We obviously were talking about cotton if you follow in our stories. And one of the questions that I actually asked that I never got an answer to while I was there is how much cotton
0: is in like a bale of cotton? Like oh, the you big did round circle. try hard. You asked the producer. You asked we the tried. mill manager or gin manager. You really did try to get that one answered.
1: Yes. So I finally found it. And part of me thinks it's surprising and part of me is also like, Oh, wow. That's not a lot. So So one bale of cotton can be made into 680,000 cotton balls, 215 pairs of jeans, 750 shirts, or 4,300 pairs of socks. So like, that's a lot. But I also am like, I don't know, like, it takes a lot of bales of cotton to like provide our world with its fashion.
0: Yeah, um, I think the numbers are shocking for me. That's a lot of, um, especially because of how many bales I think you can get per acre. True. I feel like, uh, yeah, it's on the impressive side for me. Not like, oh, I was expecting more. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a lot of socks and jeans that just came from that one bale.
1: I just think for me, looking at it from like our fast fashion and the sustainability side of things, I think it makes me reconsider every time. Like I donate my clothes, so I... It's not like I'm like throwing things away, but it just does make you like take pause to maybe think like knowing what we know after last week of how much goes into cotton, everything we learned about cotton. It's like I just maybe my blue jeans I have on today, I like put them on with a little new appreciation for what it took to like make them and knowing what it took to make 215 in a single bale, I
0: don't know. Gave me new perspective, I think. It definitely does because we did talk about this and learn about how concentrated of an area cotton production is. It is a very like high maintenance isn't the right word, but that's the word I'm going to use. Um it has to have a it has a very long growing season. The soil has to be just right for it to grow. And so there are only certain areas that can grow cotton. And we also learned that there are families that are kind of shifting away from cotton to produce other products. And so I do feel like the, you know, people who are producing cotton is dwindling a little bit. And I remember asking the producer we interviewed, like, is that something we should be like worried about and concerned about, like as our cotton production? So I think you're right. I do think knowing everything we learned about cotton and then seeing those numbers, it's like we actually 100% we do need to have more appreciation for our clothing and I'm it's funny you brought up like fast fashion versus sustainability because that's something I've actually been really diving into because I feel like Me I do too. a lot of work around like sustainability and talking about how cows aren't the problem and learning how other ways we can address things and one of them is through fast fashion and what we choose to clothe our bodies with so
1: I like that I like that fact thanks I like I said I've been interested in it since last week last week was really amazing I really realized how much I was going to love what we were doing
0: discover ag was, I don't know. It was, it was a really incredible week. Yeah. We talk about alignment and like elevate the ag course. And I don't know if you do any in-person teaching with us, whether it's real rooted or our in-person masterminds, the summit. And we actually just got off of a call recently where I was talking to one of our summit students and I was like, I feel like this is the most alignment you've ever had. And it's such a good feeling. And I feel like we were both feeling that when we were filming. So. Yeah, and thanks for all
1: the messages and comments. I feel like we got a lot of really positive feedback from people. So thanks for following along and giving us our some words of encouragement. And we did start a brand new. We're starting from the
0: ground up, baby. We have a new Instagram page with like oh three hundred followers. I know. Which for, if you are one of the followers, thank you so much, <laughs> um, all three hundred of you. I'm like so excited. I know it is. It's kind of fun to start over and like be back in those beginning stages of like, oh, you know, a new follower. It's really exciting, and I don't know starting from square one with like content creation and all those things. is kind of fun. So Discover Ag, it's our new Instagram handle for kind of some things we have going on with this podcast and with the the filming space. Yeah. So
1: getting back to our regular, like more regular segment is industry news. Although we did tweak this a little. Normally, we just share one article that we found interesting and we kind of deep dive it. And today we are actually covering three shorter topics. Um, We're trying to... Spice up our lives, like little Spice yeah. Girl actions. Spice up our lives. I don't sing, so. i am you carry that <laughs> one for me. Um, but we wanted to come back to some of our previous segments. Like we, we said in a lot, like, oh, we want to like follow back up on this, see how things go. And one of those was about the White House Conference on Nutrition. And so
0: today we're going to start with that, like
1: doing a little recap. The conference was last week. And um, we want to like kind of share how it went.
0: Yeah. And this is one we actually, I would say, did get more people saying on your guys' end too that you wanted us to follow up. And so that's where like, oh, they actually had the conference. It's time to follow up because not only did we want to, but we felt on the listening side, you guys were really interested in to hear what happened within the, I'd say White House walls, but it's not actually in the White House. but
1: Some of the things that caught my eye, I guess, was Secretary Vilsack opened it up and followed by –
0: President Biden, Uh, the people yeah. who were so all
1: this- oh, I'll interrupt
0: because we'll actually link there is a YouTube video out there. If you guys are interested yes. in hearing what Phil Sack or President Biden has to say, and there's actually someone who introduced. So there's another girl in the clip I watched. It's about well, it's like an out, over an hour, but they were like, I, and I saw this on Twitter, too. They were actually really late to start. And so I think like the first almost 30 minutes is nothing. It's just the placeholder screen they have. Oh, my God. Yeah, but we will I think it starts around like 35 minutes. So it's about 40 minutes of listening. I think uh Vilsack talks for about maybe like 15 minutes and then the girl kind of introduces the president for maybe like 5 and then the president speaks for maybe another 15 to 20. So we will link that if you actually want to hear those speeches given.
1: Yeah, so one of the people right off the bat like looking at the agenda that Concerned me was Senator Cory Booker, who is a vegan, very anti animal ag, very anti cafos. On the flip side of that, Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow, yeah, she's on like the House, I think I'm gonna get this wrong, but she's like on the ag committee, and she is a very strong advocate for all forms of ag. So a little bit of good with a little bit of
0: not my favorite, but um, that was just something that stood out to me. Well, and I did look because you can also see it was just a one-day conference, and they do that was really quick. Like I I was
1: expecting, like I guess, a little bit more when it comes to the fact that we were tackling what was the name of it—hunger, nutrition, and health. (laughs) Like maybe we need more than a day to tackle that, but you know, Um, I'll take a day.
0: So they do have the actual agenda online for you guys as well, if you were looking. And I did look because, so in our original episode where we talk about this, it gets brought up because. Um, it's episode 28. If you guys miss that, we bring up the White House conference in comparison with the Food Compass, and there was kind of a little bit of controversy going around. We saw it on Twitter mostly um, about maybe some players involved that were putting this on. And I did scan for the is it Tufts? I can't remember now. Yeah, I think it was like Tufts, Tufts University, um, yeah, Tufts and University. I did not see that listed. So I don't know if I missed it or or what. But that the name and Tufts University was actually not listed on the agenda anywhere. So.
1: You know what to me was noticeably missing?
0: Oh, I should know, but I don't know. Farmers. <laughs> oh. <yeah.
1: laughs> well, I mean, Aaron Fitzgerald with US Farmers and Ranchers in Action was there, which makes me very happy because, you know, we attended their conference just a few weeks ago. And I know Aaron is like doing yeah. the most for ag, but I just expected maybe a couple more actual farmers. Like, there's a few people that have the word farmer in their title but it doesn't seem like they're actually farmers based on their no. title. So
0: I do think, again, I don't have the agenda pulled up, but when I scanned it, you're right. I didn't see anyone that was like hosting or speaking that was like a producer or a producer panel or producer conversation. But I did end up listening to USFRA put out on their Food Facts Farm podcast, interviewed a couple people that were there. And I don't know, maybe they were just like, I don't know, trying to make it seem like a positive episode, but the person they were interviewing did say he felt like voices of ranchers or producers, farmers, whatever we want to put in there. I don't know. He made it seem positive, like they were, I don't know, kept in mind or represented or they were, I don't know, a part of the dialogue, Uh, just maybe not on stage, I guess.
1: Yeah. Another person I was excited to see, this probably won't mean much to you, I don't think, but Gen Youth was there. They got to speak on the power of play, supporting physical activities for kids. And Gen Youth is a huge piece of dairy's platform, um, Fuel Up to Play 60. It's part of the NFL. Um, and it basically is like, you should play for 60 minutes a day, like outside, and you need to fuel your body correctly to do that. And milk is one of those like that's recommended to fuel up with. So I loved seeing Gen Youth on stage. The keynote speaker was a chef, which Mm -hmm. caught me off guard. I don't – like not good or bad. I just kind of was surprised that that was the keynote speaker. I would love to see a farmer be the keynote speaker maybe in the future. (laughs) But that's – you know, maybe Um, I'm biased on that slightly.
0: So one of the big questions I had going into was like, okay, what is coming out of this? And I actually struggled to track it down. So I did – they did make a 44-page policy, I guess is what you call it.
1: And it's broken into pillars, right? Pillar 1, yeah, 2, so, 3, 4, and 5.
0: Yes. And I could not track down, at least in the research I was doing, maybe someone else can. They have better investigative skills than I do. But I could not find, track down the actual 44 pages of policies that are coming from this conference. Um, I don't what, think they're out yet, like okay. all of it. Which is funny because as I was like looking for it, I was like, is this one, it's kind of crazy that I can just track down the White House's policy page. Like it blows my mind what you can find on the internet. I was like, that's gonna be crazy if I can just find this and read this, you know? Um, so I was like kind of surprised that I I guess I was surprised, but not surprised because it's like it makes sense that maybe that's not available to everyone in the public. But at the same point, I'm like, I don't really understand why not. So I was a little Ryan frustrated. Windy. Yeah, like everything's on the internet. Why why isn't our 44 White House page policy on there? So I don't know. But you're right. What they did share about it is essentially that there's kind of five pillars they're approaching, I guess, tackling. I mean, the whole point of this was to Biden stated that there's a goal to end hunger by 2030, which I think to me, I just don't like the idea that people can put like an end destination on something. Like we just don't solve world hunger by 2030 and then it's never a problem again. So, I mean, I guess definitely get like making it A goal attached to a timeline, but I don't know the whole idea that we're just going to end world hunger by 2030 is kind of like Okay, that seems a little bit big in eight years. But anyway, that's the whole purpose of it is to address hunger food nutrition I think
1: one of the things that I saw is there's mixed reviews coming out of this Like some people think they did a lot some people feel like they didn't do enough Um, some people think like Congress needs to do more. Some people think private sector needs to do more. It's interesting to see how varying the reactions are to it. It is definitely not like a, you know, overwhelming, like, yay,
0: we did it. Like we're solving the United States hunger. So the five pillars, the first one is improve food access and affordability. So they want to just basically make it easier for everyone, including urban, suburban, rural and tribal communities to access affordable food, essentially. And so I think a lot of this actually has to do they did mention like snap and other programs on stage, whether that's allocating more money to it or, you know, whatnot. So that's pillar one pillar two is integrating nutrition and health. So they're really trying to prioritize the role of it. Three is kind of an education component. So they want to empower consumers to make like healthy choices for themselves. I feel like this will be interesting to see one. what the, I feel like that was kind of maybe the trigger for me. Like, okay, back to education. What is that education portion you're putting out then? I feel like that's where my really concern is. Four is supporting physical activity for all, which I had to crack up when Biden talked about how like everyone knows it's important to exercise, but not everyone has somewhere to exercise. And I I don't know. It was It was a funny moment for me watching him. And then the last one is enhancing nutrition and food security research. So I feel like the pillars are actually, I don't know, fairly appropriate. Like if we want to tackle, you know, world hunger, I do feel like they pick some important areas of it. I remember one part I actually wanted to ask you about since you're a pharmacist. Oh, great. Don't put me on the spot.
1: (laughs) Pillar number two, part of pillar number two is like food is medicine. And they actually want to have an initiative where you get like a prescription that's like you would – your prescription would be like you need to work with a registered dietitian and they're going to customize a meal plan for you because you have diabetes or because you have heart disease. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know you're not a registered dietitian. You're a pharmacist. But I just thought that was like an interesting like – Instead of prescribing medicine, like prescribing food.
0: Yeah, that was actually one of the things I did, and I've heard this in a podcast, and I saw it in some readings, and then doing the research, I actually did see a lot of emphasis on focus on diet related health diseases, like um, as you mentioned, diabetes or cardiovascular disease, and certain things that can be. I don't know. I, I don't. I guess I don't want to make a blanket statement, but diet plays an important role in those diseases. And so I did think that was one thing I was impressed on. I was like, oh, I really like that we're highlighting a driving conversation around this. My
1: only concern there is varying opinions of what is good food and what is quote unquote bad food. There is a lot of misinformation about like fats and things like that that we have new research on. And I just, I I think this goes back to our last episode that I still worry that like they're going to miss the mark.
0: Yes. So that is my concern. It's that pillar of basically the education component where they're like fostering environments for people to make these informed, healthy choices, but which is great. But my concern is that it won't be the 100% accurate information. So I think when I like step back and get out of the weeds of the White House conference and look at like the forest or whatever the saying is, (laughs) um, for me, it's like, (laughs) um, what's, what are actually the tools that you're giving them to make the right choices. That's what concerns me the most.
1: Agreed. Um, I think that's kind of all I had on it. Do you have any more?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot to say, but I feel like there's a um, lot to say. And And there's there's a lot to still come out. Yes, 100%. And I did scroll. I did some research on like people aren't quite talking about it yet. And I think that's because they're still waiting for some things to come out of it. So we can continue to track that. And maybe we'll give an update if anything, you know, does come that we find you guys would maybe want to hear about. We'll keep our thumb on that. All right,
1: so our next segment for industry news is actually one I found, and it is about China fishing off the coast of South America, like heavily mm. fishing off the coast of South America. China accounts for 80% of fishing in international waters off the coast of Argentina, Ecuador, and Peru this year, which seems kind of crazy that a country not listed in those countries would be the one fishing and there's actually a map where you can see, I think it's through, it's like a New York Times project where you can see exactly where the boats are and where they're fishing and how many of them there are. And it's wild. It's like red dots. And it's just like a swarm of red dots moving up and down the coast. I don't, It's just, it's wild. You know, they China has a growing middle class and they want fish and China is trying to make that happen.
0: Yeah. I think when you sent me this article, I guess I have like never really even thought about I don't know, is it aquaculture industry? What do you call it?
1: Aquaculture, Fish. yeah.
0: And so I had so much of like surface level information that I was just kind of astounded by, not even getting into the meat and potatoes of like China overfishing. I would think like some of the very basic information, I was like, wow, I have never thought of that before.
1: Yeah. I like, yeah, obviously there's like ton of international laws and different things and China's kind of like pushing the boundaries on them. And like, obviously we don't know the ins and outs of those. It's also like not the first time, like a large country has kind of like mm, bent the rules to meet the demands of their country. Like there's also like positives in the story that fewer people, like more people in China are no longer living in poverty and they're able to afford fish. Like that's great. But when you have a really large population And you change your eating habits that drastically based on your income level. It obviously has repercussions like around the world. This isn't just another thing. This isn't just happening in South America. Uh, The very end of the article was like they're also expanding off the coast of Africa, South Pacific nations, and Antarctica as well.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they're the largest exporters too. So it's not just going back to their population of their industry i mean china right, they're like, feeding other people yeah they're literally the leader in like anything to do with fish <laughs> like yeah i like i can't i'm i did not save the article that was listing like what china leads in but i was like oh and another oh and another so i that's where i was kind of like well if you sit and think about it of course they're going to be overfishing because they're the number one in everything that Carter. has to do with this yeah. like so not saying that what they're doing is right but i was like oh like see how we got where we are
1: I think the major concerns for me and, and obviously like not just me, but obviously locals is like them depleting the local fish stocks like they're not being fishery there anymore. And then the other thing is China has a tendency to under report like they're pretty sure there's been ships that are turning off their transponders. So it doesn't say that they're catching like there's just, you know, who's like kind of regulating China, I guess is probably the biggest concern.
0: Yeah, so I I also have another thought on this that we haven't talked about yet because the original article you sent me, who is it by? New York Times. Yes, and how do we firsthand experience know how New York Times can print things they want to?
1: No, yeah, so reading this actually reminded me of a uh, Seaspiracy, the Netflix documentary that like bashes yeah. like, the fishery industry. And if you actually like their University of Washington has a great rebuttal that is just like fact by fact, it's University of Washington, like it is a reputable source. Um, And so you do every time you read something like this, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, And it would just be I wish I knew an aquaculturist that I could ask and get more information because actually with Seaspiracy, I was able to talk to an aquaculturist and be like, what is true? What is not? And it was very eye opening to see what they had also not surprising, but what the film had kind of like fibbed on and like, you know, over dramatized. Yes.
0: And so that is my, I guess. And I when I was trying to find other articles, I feel like a lot of people, I don't know this for sure, but I do feel like maybe New York Times is one of the first people to report a little bit on this. And so a lot of the other articles were just referencing or linking back to New York Times. New York Times. Yes. Yeah, so I was a little, I'm just a little, like, I have a grain of salt here that I'm just like, again, because you will be the first to hear me always talk about how we have a growing population to feed. We need to we find it, sustainable yeah. ways to do it, but we also have to feed people. And so, like I said, there's just this grain of salt where I'm like, okay, what is the truth? Because if China's the leading exporters in all fish and they're the, you know, I wish I could pull that article up, but everything that they're doing, you know, for that industry, it's like, well, yeah, they're going to be, fishing in waters more than other areas. And they're going to probably have to expand out of the area they were. And so I don't know. I think that was like something I was like keeping in mind while I was reading about it too. Same. I just found it very fascinating. Okay. So last piece of industry news.
1: You've got this one.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to kind of highlight this because I feel like, as we mentioned in our kind of our, I guess our intro, I do feel like there are some people who are starting to pay more attention to sustainability. And the more conferences we go to, the more and more I... I realized that everyone, you know, from the producer to the end person and everyone in between, we all have to be equally invested in sustainability. We need everyone focusing on it. We need dollars from people that can put the dollars into it. Like we'll say over and over again, you can't put sustainability just on the backs of farmers and ranchers and expect us to solve it all. Like we're a very important role, but we need, you know, other people coming to bat with us. And so anytime I see, you know, large industry people Talking about sustainability, putting money into sustainability, it always makes me happy. And so it was just announced middle of September that PepsiCo and ADM um, have come together to essentially reduce carbon intensity through regenerative agriculture practices.
1: They're going to work on 2 million acres of American farmland by 2030.
0: Yeah. So it's a seven and a half year partnership. So they'll, they're working up until 2030 and they're starting with like corn, soy and wheat farmers across Kansas, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana and Nebraska with hopefully you know the opportunity to expand into other areas, different products. And this is this is
1: good for them too like this is helping them reach their carbon reduction goals, but I love Seeing our carbon like credits basically. I mean, I, I don't think they're selling, I don't know how the carbon credit side of this is working, but I like them staying within our food supply system. That mm-hmm. you know, PepsiCo obviously produces lots of foods. So if the farm is carbon neutral, then Pepsi can be carbon neutral. And like those carbon credits are staying within the food supply system and not leaving to like if you sell your carbon credits to like Shell or like a different oil company, like they're moving then into oil and gas. Um, not that that's bad. I just I love seeing partnerships within the food supply chain. And actually the CSO, so Chief Sustainability Officer for PepsiCo, we met him, we had dinner with him at Honor the Harvest, Jim Andrews. And I after talking with him, I just I believe like their heart is in the right place to help farmers like move the needle forward on sustainability while also still generating a profit. So I like to see it.
0: Yeah, I feel like my that conference really opened my eyes to like who we need involved in this battle. And yeah, like you said, I feel like our conversations with PepsiCo's uh, gym was it was we had s'mores together. Okay, we had um, s'mores. We're pretty much bonded for life. Yeah. But the one thing I did want to highlight about this is that they're doing it through financial incentives plus technical and ag- agronomic support. So through agronomic. things like- Yeah, thanks. I was just going to skate over that. But thank you for highlighting that I said it (laughs) wrong. Um, The through practices like cover crops, uh, reducing tillage, you know, pesticide use. And so essentially through a couple different practices, by incentivizing these farmers, their goal is to eliminate 1.4 million metric tons of greenhouse gases, which I feel like people throw around that number all the time. And you're like, what does that really mean? At least that's what I think in my head. And essentially that, you know, 1.4 million metric tons is equivalent to the amount of electricity used to power 275,000 homes per year. And there was a couple other stats about cars. And so that's not a off. small
1: amount. That's that's a lot. I also, no, we, we always say we love to see incentives and not regulation. So mm-hmm. I, I'm glad that this is headed. Like, I hope the farmers get paid for reducing Pepsi's greenhouse gas emissions. Like, yeah, that's I think as it's it exciting. Should. Yep. Yeah. Um, Okay. So moving into our next segment, our weekly discovery, which as we said, has a new name. So last week I was at my sister's bachelorette party and I like hosted it and my sister gave me a gift that was Gucci wallet. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, wow, Gucci. Like, And and she was like, no, the reason I got this for you is because Gucci is really uh, into the leather and they have their own cattle. Uh, their own herd of cattle that produces the leather for Gucci. And so I ended up going down this like kind of crazy rabbit hole and so did you. I took oh you my along I was in the rabbit hole
0: deep, people. <laughs> yeah.
1: Gucci <laughs> is like amazing. Another mainstream company that is like doing great things for animal ag. When my sister bought the Gucci wallet, they actually told her in the store about the leather, the cattle it came from to have a company as mainstream as Gucci share about the cows that produce their
0: leather, I feel like, is a big deal. Oh, it's a huge deal, and again, very exciting to see. Like we're like again, is ag maybe gonna have its moment? Are we? It's having have its a moment. Little respect around here. Um, but what so we found it, out when we went down this rabbit hole is that so Gucci is publicly owned. It's called this company called Caring, K E R I N G. We'll link it in the show notes for anyone else who wants to go down a rabbit hole. But if you go to their webpage, sustainability is literally at the top of the thing, there's a tab for header, it. Yeah. Yes. That you click onto and they have so much information. I watched videos. I looked at their, you know, the videos are incredible. They have yeah. the videos highlights.
1: So uh, right now I'm watching the video and it has tons. It's showcasing farmers that grow their cotton. It's showing the farmers that grow, like they raise their sheep for wool. It's mm-hmm. showing how they're regenerating the soils. Like it is amazing. The amount of times they mention agriculture,
0: farmers, et cetera, mm-hmm. in this video is really, really cool. Especially keeping in mind, this is, well, so Carrick actually owns, or Caring owns a couple. They own, Gucci is one of them. So they have quite a few publicly, like larger, like Yves Saint Lorraine is, I don't know if I said that right. That's how I say it in my head. Uh, I hate <laughs> podcasting for that reason. There's so many things I, I know say. so many things I don't head, know how to but say. Like, but to have mainstream luxury brands like that using, I don't know, producer jargon is extremely comforting. And if you want to get me on a soapbox, I will get on a soapbox every single day about how (sighs) vegans who are choosing that diet simply for the planet, removing any other reason why you would choose that lifestyle. If it is solely for the betterment of the planet, I am like, do you know how bad buying vegan leather is and some of these artificial, I guess, replacements for, you know, not using animals? So, the fact that again, they were going into like the sheep and the leather and the importance, it was, I was just like, hallelujah. Thank you. My favorite thing on the website
1: was when Gucci
0: said they have
1: a statement about, you know, sustainability, and Gucci said, Agriculture, regenerative agriculture will be part of the solution to climate change. And mm. I just like wanted to start clapping. Like, claps for Gucci. We did, we did clap. Looks we were like, why just are you clapping at
0: this Gucci video? <laughs>
1: I know. I'm like, I mean, I wish I could afford all of Gucci's products. I, at this point in my life, can't, but right. I am going to be a stand for them. Like, I yes. will. I will not buy any of the other like luxury handbags. Whenever that come, when I come to that point in my life, I will buy Gucci.
0: Yeah. So they own this company owns Balenciaga. They own Alexander McQueen. They own Saint Laurent. They own Gucci. So I mean, these are extremely. I'm just. This was my favorite rabbit hole you've ever led me down. And like you said, I don't buy a ton of high end luxury brands, but a hundred percent. When I go to, and when I do want to spoil myself or spoil someone with a friend, or just spread the message that if you care about sustainability, here's some great high end, you know, like I would love to get some influencers who share high end them. fashion, sharing-, sharing about like, if you care yeah. about sustainability, hello, these are the luxury brands you should be supporting, then like vote with your dollar in this way. Absolutely.
1: So, that is my weekly discovery. And now we
0: have one more new segment. So we wanted to do, there's this fun, there's this podcast, the Car Mom podcast, and they do this fun segment where they shared the last three things that they purchased. And so we thought it'd be fun to kind of twist that and make it our own and do the last, because I feel like this. we actually do this as an icebreaker sometimes at like our in-person events. And it's our last three tabs open in our Google search, which I feel like that can tell a lot about a person if they're not lying. Yeah. Okay. Go first. Okay. So in no order, there, I guess it doesn't matter how I talk about them, but my last three up most recently were, one is successful entrepreneurs who failed. I Googled that because I was doing a post for Elevate Ag. What I actually was originally listening to a podcast, How I Built This, where they were interviewing the ButcherBox creator. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, hello, had a lot of failed businesses <laughs> before the ButcherBox. And he had this quote that said, um, and a failed – essentially like a failed venture does not mean a failed entrepreneur. And I was like, that is really good advice for people starting out. Because again, then I Googled successful entrepreneurs who are failed. And there was a long, lonely list of people who did not get it right the first time. So I was like, that's a really good reminder. Mm, Another tab, my my last three is Goldie Lou. So they, I was introduced through them to jewelry. Um, I have some of their Goldie Lou jewelry pieces. Um, She's actually a rodeo wife, but I was watching stories last night and they're launching some clothing. And so I wanted to be reminded of that today to go. There's a couple of pieces I had my eye on. So Goldie Lou is an open tab for me. And then the last one is actually um, our VRBO for next year if we do Stagecoach.
1: Oh my gosh, that's one of mine. I'll have to skip oh. to my fourth. I'm sorry. Okay, We're no, planning okay. on going to Stagecoach.
0: Um, and Tara's like the VRBO queen. So she actually researched a ton and then text them to me and Ashley to pick our favorites. And I was like, I've got to get back to Tara so we can book this because otherwise we're going to be... At-. Fun fact, we learned hotels are not affordable. <laughs> we cannot <laughs> afford a hotel at Stagecoach. <laughs> like, we will be staying in a VRBO. It? What was it for like... It was like Almost four hundred dollars for like motel eight. We were like, No, it was crazy. Yeah, like we were Natalie like, was like, I don't wanna stay at a
1: VRBO. I wanna have like room service, I think it's what you said. And I was like, Well, we can't afford
0: the hotels like, that do that and the ones yeah. that we can't afford, you don't wanna stay at.
1: I was like, we'll just like I don't – we'll get a reservation at
0: one of the expensive <laughs> hotels. Not even expensive.
1: I think one in my list of expensive was seriously like the Best Western.
0: It was. You told me like our price range. You're like, okay, we can say at Motel 8, Best Western, and one other. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh. Okay. Well, maybe those are high-end in Palm Springs. Maybe we should do
1: <laughs> <Western>. <laughs> Apparently, the Best Western in Palm Springs looks different than the one in in my town.
0: <laughs>
1: um, um. Is that all of yours? Yeah. Okay, so mine, um, actually a follower sent this to me in a DM. It's from the Daily Mail. Bill Gates admits that telling people not to eat meat won't solve climate change. What? So basically they pulled up an interview that Bill Gates gave years ago that basically was like – like 10 years ago that was like uh, what you your diet is not going to change climate change. And now he is like Joe – he's Bill – eat <laughs> fake synthetic meat. Or crickets. So anyway, oh that's that article. We can we can deep dive it if people are interested. My next one is I listened to a Jenna Kutcher podcast about saving time and being more like time efficient, and she is taking or she took a course about getting like more time. It's Marie Far, Far- Leo? Is that how you say Forleo. it? Forleo. Thank you.
0: Um, so you I don't signed know who Marie up. Forleo is that's a problem. No, I didn't. Oh, oh I'm she. Sorry. She her tagline is anything is figure figureoutable. And I feel like that's how I approach life. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'll just, I don't know it, but it's like figure outable. Someone knows it. And so I don't know. I relate to her a lot. I listen to her. Okay. Well,
1: tomorrow I am taking her time management um, free webinar and I'm thinking about taking her actual class. So that's one, that's my other tab. And then my last one is booking your flight to Denver (laughs) um, because we are headed to a conference at the beginning of November again. And it's a really amazing one in Denver and
0: we cannot wait to go. It makes it sound weird. I feel like I need to explain this about why you're booking my flight.
1: Oh, because I have be like, the, the card. Yeah, you have the company credit card. I don't. I'm I have not the like I card. fully.
0: You guys, I'm fully capable of booking my own flight.
1: <laughs> she is. I just have the company credit card. Yeah. Uh, Natalie and I have very specific roles in our business, and it actually yes. is works amazing. And I purchase things usually, and so I book your credit card.
0: <laughs> You're like, I really love being the person that spends all the money in our business. I actually do love being the person that spends our money.
1: Um, but um, no, we, we are going to a conference, and we'll be sharing with you guys about that conference uh, in weeks to come. So those are my three tabs.
0: Cool. Um, I feel like that's that's a segment I want to keep. We were kind of trial running this segment. I
1: like like it. I like it. I want – as you guys are listening to this, obviously, please leave us a review. Let us know what you liked. But also tag us in your stories and tell us what segments you like. Do you like more than one industry news? We gave you guys three today. What did you like about the changes? What didn't you like? We want to hear from you.
0: All right. Well – next week's a big week for us. So we will see you on the podcast daily. Surprise, surprise. It is launch week. It is, we are opening doors to Elevate Ag, the online course. And so we have literally a Monday through Friday podcast for you guys.
1: And yeah, launch is on Monday. So if you've been waiting for Elevate the course, now is your chance, last chance of 2022. We're not sure exactly when we'll launch again in 2023. So join us now. Also, it's a new month. It's October. Leave us a review, rate us, leave us a review. We are picking a winner every month to receive like a goodie bag from Elevate Ag that's filled with Natalie and I's favorite things. And so leave us a review so we can add you to enter into the giveaway. All right. We'll see you guys on Monday.